Okay, welcome back to the Eamstead Podcast. I'm here with the ever-so-good-looking Dr. Nate. And we're enjoying our time here in sunny Fort Lauderdale. You might hear some background noise, but that's just because we're at a conference. We're hanging out together. We are it's actually been fun. at a conference. This is what we do. This, this, is, is, we, this is our job. We nerd out at the CORD <laughs> conference. So this is where clerkship directors, program directors, APDs, all get together to nerd out about medical education and emergency medicine. Cool conference. Yeah, this is really a conference uh, for you guys. Not that any of you are invited, but uh, we're here to talk about how to improve graduate and undergraduate medical education one step at a time. Cool. And we've got a, a new mic today. We're rocking out with uh, Nate's new mic. Very excited about this beautiful specimen here. This is a Yeti. Oh, you like is it. that right? Yeah, it's, it's my new Blue Yeti microphone. And we're recording on your brand new uh, MacBook here, MacBook yeah. Pro. Yeah, that I guess was, uh, Tim Cook offered to sponsor you, huh? That's pretty cool. <laughs> By killing my old laptop, yes. Wow. I've got jealousy written all over my face. <laughs> Beautiful machine. Can I touch it? Uh, you can absolutely touch it, Scott, anytime you want. Thanks. <laughs> Feels good. All right, so this episode, we're just going to jump right back into a whole new year. I don't know about you, Scott, but I have new medical students starting with me on Monday. As Boom. soon as I get back. Uh, back to Virginia, new medical students, brand new school year, starting the whole cycle over again already. Spring has sprung. So excited. Uh, and so because we have so many new students joining us, we're going to kind of give you a big 10,000-foot overview of what's going to happen over the next few months. We're going to try and break it down. And obviously, later on, we're going to go into more detail uh, in uh, subsequent episodes. But sure. So let's call this the 10,000-foot uh, the 10, view 10, of fourth year. year? Absolutely. Great, man. Let's break it out. So I think, uh, Nate, the first thing I think about for fourth year is that flexibility is the key. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think that is that is number one, definitely scheduling-wise and also just your ability to travel, ability to change your plans, all sorts of stuff. And, Nate, I know that you're kind of into that because this morning at the uh, wellness session on yoga, I saw you doing your pose. By the way, the flamingo is not an approved pose. No, everybody liked it, though. Yeah, all right. it's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> all right, man, so first thing first. Right now, we're in VSAS season. Where are we at with that? So VSAS, the Visiting Student Application Service, this is the double AMC product, very similar to Eris in a lot of ways. This is the system through which you will apply to get an away rotation in emergency medicine. That's correct. I said an away rotation in emergency medicine. If you haven't already signed in and gotten yourself an away rotation, you need to start doing that now. Yeah, I think the definitely the horse is out of the barn on this one, but if, if you're not doing this already, you're a little bit late, I think there's still a chance for you, but by the time this is published, it, you need to have done that already. So a lot of places don't participate in VSAS. Most do, but some don't. And you'll have to kind of take a look with your advisor and find out your application strategy to uh, determine where to go for VSAS. You know, Scott, so we did an episode on VSAS uh, a year or two years ago. I forget now. It's remember it well. Been a little while. Yeah, mm. well, you, clearly you remember it better than I do. Uh, and, you know, I, I still have mixed feelings about VSAS, honestly. I mean, I, I think it's great that there's a centralized system for students to apply to. You can look up a whole bunch of programs and just click buttons and send out your application a whole bunch of different places. It costs money, though. Mm. Uh, it is an added expense. I mean, unfortunately, I think this is something we're stuck with now. It's a necessary evil. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess it has to be. But uh, just uh, as Scott mentioned, just keep in mind there are additional rotations that are not using VSAS yet. So I think a great resource to use if you go to the SAEM website uh, and click on the clerkship directory, you'll find uh, a pretty decent listing of clerkships around the country that may or may not participate through VSAS. 
And there's also a lot of opportunities for people from diversity. So if you're not white and you're not a male, there are a lot of opportunities for you to apply for unique diversity uh, scholarships and rotations and funds. And there's a link to that at the SAM website as well. And if nothing else, you can always ask your clerkship director or your dean. A lot of times they'll have uh, very similar information. Very good. Moving on down. So let's see. The purpose of the VSAS process, the purpose of doing an away rotation, is to get one of these valuable slows, we call them. Tell us quickly about those, Nate. So emergency medicine is a little bit different in how we uh, ultimately look at and write letters of recommendation. So what a slow is, it stands for standardized letter of evaluation. Uh, and if you like, you can actually just Google this, Google CORD, C-O-R-D-S-L-O-E, standard letter of evaluation, and you can pull up a PDF of exactly what I'm talking about. What this is, is essentially our version of a letter of recommendation. So it's not something that you need in addition to your letters. It's not an additional form or additional uh, part of ERIS that you fill out. Instead, what's going to happen is that as you complete your emergency medicine rotations, you're going to go to the clerkship director. You're going to say, hey, can I get a slow? Here's my ERIS letter of recommendation request form. And your clerkship director will write you a letter of recommendation in the form of a slow. So what a slow actually is designed to do, it is different than a standard letter of recommendation, which typically reads something like, uh, student doctor so-and-so is the best student I have ever had, I've ever met in my entire life. They are really, really professional and good-looking and show up on time and do great with patients, and I, I think they're just going to make a great doctor and a great resident, and I wholeheartedly, without reservation, recommend them to your program. And you don't really learn much reading that kind of a letter. And so what we've done in emergency medicine is that we've decided to choose this formatted letter called a slow, where we actually give concrete information about your performance. So uh, I'm going to pause for a few seconds, let you pull this PDF up, and we'll go through it together. Or I guess through the magic of podcasting, you can just hit the pause button. Mm. So the slow... Uh, starting from the top here, so you'll notice that uh, your clerkship director or whoever is writing this letter, and we'll come back to whoever's writing this letter in a second, uh, will write your name, they'll fill out your AAMC number, uh, as well as your contact information. Now, what's next, what really kind of gives these letters some additional uh, oomph, I guess. Uh, question number one, how long have you known the applicant? So clearly, if you've known uh, the person writing the letter, if they've known the applicant, they've known you for years as opposed to just a few weeks, uh, that's going to give some additional information, some additional credibility. Uh, in addition to that, what sort of experiences they've had with you, what sort of contact they've had with you. Uh, ultimately, what grade you got on the rotation. So you'll see there it's graded from honors high pass, pass to low pass to fail. Uh, whether or not this was your first, second, or third EM rotation. And then really what comes next is uh, what I think is, is one of the critical parts of this slow how many students were evaluated at this site last year and what percentage of them got honors high pass, pass, and low pass. And what this really implies is out of all of the other students that this particular site evaluated, where do you fall? How do you actually get compared to your peers? And so, Scott, we'll talk a little bit later on about choosing an away rotation and where to go for that. Uh, my personal thoughts is really you need to be going to a site where there's a program, where there's a residency program, I think for a few reasons. Uh, generally, they're going to be used to teaching medical students and teaching residents, so they're going to have an additional uh, medical education um, experience. 
uh, but also they tend to have larger numbers of students. You can imagine that if there are only five students who rotate at a particular site each year and they all get honors, it's very difficult to sort of uh, really tease out how well you did relative to those other students at that site. On the other hand, if there's 200 students that rotate there and 10% get honors, and guess what? You got an honors, now all of a sudden you look like a rock star. So just going through the rest of the slow real quick, uh, there are some additional questions asking, are you above, at the level, or below your peers in various things? A global assessment, which is if we were to put you on a rank list, where would we put you? And then finally, down at the bottom, some written comments. So these are some more of the uh, subjective uh, comments that we have about you, as well as probably some comments from faculty uh, during your time on the rotation. So really, this is a letter of evaluation for the rotation. Yeah, before we get going here, I think one of the quick things on the slow and where to rotate, we just got done with the NCAA tournament. We're in the NBA playoffs right now. There's seeds for teams. So some of you out there are a number one seed applicant, and you can probably rotate at a very prestigious academic center in a sexy city in the United States and probably perform well. But if you're more average, you're more of a seven or eight seed, you're maybe a 16 seed, you might not want to be rotating amongst the number one seeds. You don't want to play that top seed team in the first round. So I think you need to be careful about your seeding, your competitiveness, and also where you're going to rotate and make sure that that's concordant. Only your advisor will be able to tell you where you sit and maybe where some of the programs sit and looking at where to rotate. So Scott, I get this question a lot. Uh, students come up to me and say, well, hey, I'm getting this slow, which uh, evaluates me for the rotation, but..." What if I need additional letters of recommendation? Do I ask additional EM faculty that I worked with over the month? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the letters you will need, you will require one slow in order to get an interview with an EM residency program. That's based on a program director survey that was published in Academic Emergency Medicine. We've talked about this before, but you need one slow in order to get an interview. You will require two slows in order to be ranked. And if you have two slows, more than 90% of the programs will rank you. No one is saying you need three slows. That's not what we're hearing from any of the data that we have done in our surveys. There may be some isolated examples. Maybe people are talking about this. But this is in no circumstances the standard. After that, you will probably need other letters. That could come from a separate emergency medicine experience. Maybe you did a toxicology experience, EMS, wilderness medicine, ultrasound. Maybe you did something unique, and that could count. You should not expect for a slow to be written by an academic institution and then go out and ask a different attending from that same institution to write you another letter of recommendation. It just may not be as reliable as a slow. It's probably not accepted in most centers. You probably need to look elsewhere. After the emergency medicine slows, after the emergency medicine subspecialists that are writing, I think the next level of quality for a letter of evaluation or recommendation might come from someone in residency leadership from a different field. So if you have a surgery residency at your home institution and you rotated with the program director for that program and feel like you did well, you received a high grade, some good comments, that might be a good person to reach out and ask for a supplementary letter of evaluation or recommendation. Note that it will not carry anywhere near the same level of credibility as the slow, but it can be an important aspect of your application in order to make it appear complete. 
going through your third year, you may work with several uh, faculty, say from internal medicine or neurology or psychiatry or whoever, uh, that you just really clicked with, you think you can get a good letter of recommendation from, go ahead and ask them. Ask them for a letter of recommendation. Ask them now before they forget who you are. Because you know what will happen, they will write you a letter, it will get uploaded to your ARIS file, and you can decide later if you want to use it. You can just store it there. If you decide to use it, great. If you don't, that's okay. You can actually customize which letters go out to each program. But it's really, really tough to go back and try to get these letters after the fact once uh, uh, they've, th these clerkship directors have moved on and they're working with other students. Yeah, I think that's a great homework assignment right now. What can I do in the spring of my third year, beginning of the summer? Yeah, get those letters, put them up in ERAS, get them started right now, secure them so that it's not too late. Great advice. So, Scott, speaking of other things you can be doing right now, what else you got for us? Well, I think now's a good time to maybe do a dry draft of a personal statement. I know many of the rotating applications for emergency medicine on VSAS require a little bit of a personal statement or an intent letter, perhaps. And this might be a good time for you to put down some thoughts on paper and give a good rough draft to a personal statement that you can then bounce off of some mentors, some classmates, uh, others, and then really perfect when it comes time to getting that personal statement polished. Yeah, I, I, can't, uh, I can't agree more. You know, you're going to get very busy very quickly, studying for step two, uh, taking your EM rotation, setting up your ways, actually traveling to your away rotation, then working on your ARIS application. If you have time now to work out your personal statement, I, I would just do it. Just knock it out. And that way, when you're up to your, I don't know, 20th, 30th revision, uh, it just makes life so much easier if you already have that initial draft, at least. Yeah, if you want more information, we did an episode recently on let's get personal about statements. So check that out in our files. But that's a good thing to get done right now. Nate, what else can they do? Well, you know, I also tell my students to go ahead and get their CVs prepared. Um, even though a lot of your CV, what's in your CV, you're going to break down and put into your ARIS application separately in different fields, it's still a good idea to just think about what you're proud of, what makes you stand out, uh, and really how to word that on a piece of paper. You know, I, I sit down with students every year and they say to me, you know, am I competitive for emergency medicine? And we look through their scores and maybe they're sort of middle of the road. And I say, look, the one way that you're going to get into an interview with scores that you know maybe aren't the highest is if there's something in your CV or something in your personal statement that really makes you stand out. Because believe it or not, uh, we are reviewing these things, program directors are reviewing these things, and if on your CV you have something that really makes you unique, despite what your scores are, they may decide to interview you and uh, decide to want to meet you. So think of your CV, think of all of the awards, all of the leadership experiences, all of the uh, volunteer work, obviously all of the uh, relevant jobs that you've held, things that really sort of uh, describe who you are as a person, what you've accomplished, uh, and what makes you stand out from the crowd. I would even include in your CV a little bit about uh, what your hobbies and interests are, because you know that's going to be in your ARIS application anyway, but it's something to already think about, something that uh, can definitely make you stand out from the crowd. Moving forward, I think uh, we're going to also recommend that you just kind of finish up third year strong. Don't get too distracted by reading emergency medicine stuff. Focus on your last rotation. If that's psychiatry, you need to focus on it. You don't want to just kind of get lost thinking about emergency medicine and fail an NBME or really not do well in your current rotation. So stick to the job at hand. Emergency medicine may be your goal, but finish third year strong. And you know, the way I look at this is that uh, 
you're not going to learn how to be an emergency physician in medical school, and, and that's that's not the point, really. But when you uh, perform on a clerkship, and, and we probably ought to actually have an episode on that separately, now that I think about it, but in order to perform well on a clerkship, really what we're looking at is how well can you interact with patients, how well can you interact with staff, how well can you actually uh, put together a clinical picture and come up with an assessment, not necessarily how fast can you put in a chest tube, we'll teach you that during residency. But you'll find, I think, that how to evaluate a psych patient, something that you learn on psychiatry, can go uh, miles and miles when you're on your EM rotation also. So once you've finished with your third year, we jump into the rotations. When does that usually start, Nate? Well, this varies by school. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we start on Monday, just a few years from now. <laughs> just, to, just to, yeah, you can tell where my mind is in Florida. Uh, just a few days from now. So we're going to be starting uh, a brand new school year with brand new fourth years in just a few days. Uh, so some people will start doing EM rotations as early as May. Uh, but certainly through uh, August, September, I think is really the core months where you're going to be doing these EM rotations. The kickoff for our season is June 12th, so we're a little bit behind. All right, so you're probably going to want to do your home rotation first. And like I tell my students, my job is not to fix you or make you completely enamored by our program, but it's really to polish you and to set a good foundation of emergency medicine. You can go out, you can rotate at other places, and really shine. So I really want you to focus on learning the basics, like Nate said, the foundations of emergency medicine at your home rotation. And that's probably going to be your first rotation. Yeah, I, I think that's the case in a, in, in, for a lot of students. On the other hand, I would say that given the amount of difficulty uh, there can be sometimes in scheduling away rotations and making things work out, if you do an away rotation before your home rotation, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. Uh, yeah, flexibility is a key. We're seeing this absolutely. again. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. So we'll do the home rotation, maybe we'll do it in a way, we'll, we'll try to get this done. And this should probably be your first three or four blocks of your fourth year. we probably like to see you do at least one rotation, emergency medicine, maybe a home rotation. And then we also like to see an away rotation that's been done as well, probably in that June, July, August, maybe early September time. Yeah, I, I think key to that and really the timing here is that remember that you're going to get these uh, slows, these standardized letters of evaluation from your performance on these rotations. And they're uh, not necessarily going to be able to write you a slow until you finish the rotation and add to that a couple weeks to actually get that uh, finalized. Uh, in fact, some people actually, um, some programs actually sit down and write these letters as a committee. So it can take a few weeks, and so you can imagine that if you don't finish a rotation until, say, the end of August, you know, it might be mid-September before your slow uh, gets uploaded to your file. So keep that in mind also. Yeah, we like to get maybe two, maybe three blocks through and under our belt before we start dividing people up into these metrics and these pentiles, I guess you would say, that these slow requires. Oh, yeah, that's true. So for my students who are listening, uh, if you send me a letter of request form uh, today, uh, which you can't, I'm just kidding, but if you were to send it to me in July, just keep in mind I'm probably not going to do it till August, and that's yeah. okay. We don't hate you. Don't misinterpret things. It's okay. It's yep. safe. Yep. That is true. All right, so that brings us down into step two also. Uh, a lot of places want to see your step two scores, and so we'll probably plan on taking step two in the same time frame. And again, you've got to be flexible. I'm sure a lot of you right now have a very rigid uh, prescription written for your fourth year requirements and your schedule, but you've got to be flexible. You never know if your away rotation spot may come when you might have planned to do step two, and you might need to move things around a little bit. Yeah, you know... I 
Scott, every year I, I, I think about the step one and step two scores and, you know, what it all means. And I, let's just say I've settled on this. If your step one score is uh, a little on the low side, leave something to be desired, I think you want to demonstrate that your step two score uh, is better. Uh, and so whatever that means for you. If that means doing it right out of third year when all of that information is fresh, I would recommend doing that. Uh, if it means waiting a month so you can get some extra study time in, I, I would recommend that if you feel like you need that. Uh, but definitely showing that you are doing strong on step two if your step one score is lower I think is very, very important. Uh, and we're talking about CK here. Uh, CK. CS I think is uh, probably a little less important, would you say, Scott? To yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think people want to see your CS score before they put you down on their rank list, but that doesn't have to be done right. uh, early. Yeah, especially since that's a whole other scheduling uh, nightmare involving travel and things. Um, so yeah, so you definitely want to get your uh, step two score in there somewhere. Uh, check with your school too, because they may actually have requirements as to when you need to have that done by. Uh, and then once we get to September, Scott, what's going on in September? Man, that's when ERAS opens up. September 15th was the magic date last year, and I think that's the date this year. Am I right? I think so. They, the NRMP has not formally released their schedule, at least at least as much as I can see on their website, but September 15th sounds about right. Yeah, we keep creeping up inch by inch. It used to be that a lot of programs wouldn't look at their applications until ASIP, which is usually in mid-October. It moved into early October, and I even heard from a lot of students last year, and I don't know about you, Nate, but a lot of them started getting interview offers the last week in September, which is kind of scary early. That is crazy, yeah. So we're, we're creeping up, so you kind of got to have your ducks in a row. I think if you want to be aggressive, you want to be on top of things, you probably need to have your ducks in a row by that September 15th date. Well, in, in a way, I think that's a good thing, and we have not yet talked about the elephant in the room, which is the fact that EM has, uh, at least by perception, become much more competitive. Um, and we've released episodes about this also. If you want to go check out uh, some of our previous episodes, we've talked about this. Uh, but what this means is that there's just a lot more applications coming out from proportionally the same number of students. And I think programs are trying to adjust for this by offering interviews even earlier than in the year, uh, which is great. Uh, it means more interview spots. But at the same time, it just means that really by September, you want everything ready to go. Now, that won't necessarily include all of your letters of recommendation. We get that. That's okay. Those can be uploaded and downloaded after the fact. But uh, your initial ARIS file, hopefully your um, at least your USMLE Step 1 score, um, and definitely your personal statement and your CV. Yeah, all that needs to be ready by September 15th, and that reminds me that, you know, this probably isn't the time to go do an international rotation to go serve Syrian orphanages. I think you really need to stick around domestically. You don't want to be over internationally whenever you miss that email that gives you an interview spot. So I think let's plan on sticking in your locale so that you can make sure that you're being competitive and address everything that needs to be taken care of. Yes, definitely. More on interviews later. All right, so that moves us down into kind of the, the fall's beginning. The leaves are changing colors at this stage. Uh, holiday season might be creeping in. That's going to be interview season, and you'll be back and forth all over the country. I think you should plan on doing some rotations at this time that might allow for flexibility for interviews and make sure that you're positioned. Absolutely. Okay, Nate, and that puts us down to Christmas time, maybe New Year's. What happens at the New Year? Well, you know, amazingly, not a whole lot. You may still be going on interviews. There are some programs that are still interviewing out in the January. But really, we're sort of winding down the interview season at that point. 
At about mid-January, at least last year, January 15 was a date, uh, that's going to be when the rank order list uh, program through the NRMP opens up, and you can actually start entering in your, your rank list. You don't have to finalize it, but you can start entering in programs and you can make adjustments. Uh, hopefully that's something you've been doing during your interviews, so you have an idea of who you liked. Um, but you can actually start making it uh, semi-official at that point. And uh, by February, February 22nd was a date this year, uh, that's actually when your rank lists are due. That is the final chance you get to actually make adjustments before you go ahead and just submit it into the computer. Great. And then what happens in April, March? Uh, well, in March, there's uh, match day ah, where yeah. you get that letter uh, telling you where you're going to be for the next <laughs> three to four years. It's uh, really, really exciting. Scariest and happiest day of a lot of people's lives. Yep, yep. And then in April, I guess you just wait to graduate. I don't know what hey, you do. You party like a rock star, man. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah. beach or something. Hey, you right? go to like Fort Lauderdale with your buddy and you do podcasts? Uh, or you could be learning something. Yeah, yeah, you or, could be reading a book. Could, yeah, 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 you could do that too. And then May, what happens in May? Oh, gosh. I don't want to think that far ahead, but I, I think maybe you graduate. Boom. If you're lucky, right? Boom. Exactly. You yep. put doctor by that name. Yep. Done. You do a mic drop and you walk across the stage. <laughs> Yep. So that is pretty much it. That is your fourth year in a nutshell. Uh, so just to recap real quick. So right now, hopefully you're getting your letters of recommendation from your third year rotations, people that you think can write you a good letter. You're starting your uh, personal statement. You're formalizing your CV. You're meeting with mentors. You're filling out those VSAS applications and getting away spots. In a couple months, you'll be doing your EM rotations, knocking out step two. In September, you're going to be ready to go to submit your ARIS application, and then for the rest of the year, waiting for interview offers and going on them. Cool. And then that comes into the January. You're going to be getting your rank list together, submitting that in February, match in March, party like a rock star into April, and then put doctor by your name come May. So ladies and gentlemen, that's a 10,000-foot view of your fourth year. On behalf of my wonderful colleague, Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weeders, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. Rotate well, my friends. <laughs>